So, you've just finished A Court of Thorn and Roses, and you're craving another fantasy world to devour. Dipsy's got your back. Dive into spicy enemies-to-lovers tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. I gotta tell you that the immersive soundscapes are really what makes a good sexy story different from a not good sexy story because it just like adds like it's hard sometimes in like reading a novel to like get the actual feel of what's going on but when it's like oh we're like at the coffee shop and this is like actually happening it's like very different (laughs) and there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves greek gods and goddesses regency era historical fiction for you sam and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure new content is released every week so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again you can always find something new to explore dipsy offers a modern approach to romance through high quality and captivating audio fiction for listeners of the show dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash just break up that's 30 days of full access for free when you go to dipsystories.com slash just break up dipsystories.com slash just break up look bumble knows you're exhausted by dating all the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do i even say other than hey <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like being tricked. (laughs) (laughs) Feeling like you don't measure up, literally, mm-hmm. and being tired of parenting your parents. Mm. But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that Sierra and I are not licensed mental health practitioners. I think, honestly, my therapist would just like die if he found out that this is what I was doing. <laughs> You're like, Sam. No, he's probably so you are proud not of equipped. you. No, he knows. It's fine. Okay. <laughs> that was just a joke, everyone. <laughs> Yeah, Sam and I are obviously not professionals. Uh, we laugh at our own jokes and we have no idea what we're talking about. So please see, take True. our advice as you see fit. We are only here to offer our humble, humblest of musings to hopefully shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. Uh, yeah, I was thinking about, I was like daydreaming about the podcast the other day and I was thinking... Um, I like really hope our listeners don't expect us to like know every what we're talking about all the time. <laughs> like I hope that they know that like we're just like two fumbling idiots like everybody else. <laughs> For sure. I think Absolutely. they know that, right? Want- like how many words have I mispronounced on this podcast? They know that like I don't know <laughs> what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And they more, know what they're signing up for. Yeah. More importantly, I think about like I think I was just like reflecting I was our 
our magazine cover came out. Um, Sam and I were mm-hmm. last week. We were on the cover of Lavender Magazine, a Minneapolis-based LGBTQIA publication, um, and we were honored to be on the cover. There's an interview about us and the pod in it, um, and so I was just like reflecting and being really grateful for our listeners. And then I was thinking, like, it's nice. Uh, I feel like so supported by our listeners, and I think a way that they support us is that they don't expect us to be to know it all. <laughs> like, I'm glad I don't mm-hmm. know it all. <laughs> I'm trying to like figure it out. Yeah, And know? I think, I think also too, like even when folks correct us or send us things right. that are like, eh, it's like always so kind. And yes. like calling well, except in for the one too, time like, that somebody told me that uh, we shouldn't talk about how Trump lost because not all of our listeners uh, voted for Biden. Um, and they told me to quote, do better. <laughs> I talked about that in therapy. Well, that one was not. I talked about that in therapy. That one, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, there have been at least a couple people who have, like, really come for us. But for the most part, like, it's just like, hey, this word is is triggering for this reason. And it's like, cool. Good to know. Well, that's the point. Because now I can do something different. Exactly. Um, I don't know where that little tangent came from. Obviously, like, the recesses of my subconscious brain. But... You want to get into this week's check-in topic? <laughs> well, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> um, so I polled our Instagram followers for check-in topic inspiration. And the most common, like the one that was like repeated the most is a topic that I'm sure we've covered eons ago in the beginning of the podcast, but I thought we could return to it anew. And that is, when do you know you're ready to start dating again? either after a heartbreak, after a big breakup, or just in general, like when you're taking time for yourself or when do you know that you're ready to date again? Yeah. I mean, that's such like a, I love this question because we get it a lot. And I think a lot of people are really thinking about it. And I think too, especially in this season of- Cuffing. um, (laughs) Yeah, this, this cuffing season, as well as like coming- into a new stage of the pandemic. Let me say that. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, like, yes, yes. Right? Um, that folks are really trying to think about, like, what is what does dating look like now and, and how do I move forward? So I love the question because I think it's on a lot of people's minds. I also hate this question because it's like, I don't know. <laughs> like, well, there's no yeah. hard and fast answer. It's not like, here's a list of all the, the boxes that you should check and then, like, you're good to go. Like, it depends on your context. It depends on how long you've been dating. Yeah. It depends on whether or not you feel you're ready. Like there's just so many different things involved in it that it's hard. I don't ever want to be the one that like produces a list. And then people are like, okay, well, these are the boxes to check. Yeah, like that's... Sam's I'm ready to date list. <laughs> we'll, yeah. put, we'll put it in the book when we get published one day. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I think I agree. Um, I don't hate this question or love it. I <laughs> like you do, but I, I think my in- immediate initial response is you don't know. You just do it. But maybe that <laughs> is speaking from somebody who hasn't had to, like, I-, I haven't had to deal with a lot of scarcity in my dating life. And maybe that's because mm-hmm. I'll date like anything with, you know, heartbeat. <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, and like sentience, like yeah. and the, the ability to consent. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I think in my experience, I've just sort of like followed the motion of the world around me. You know, like my friends are, 
I'm dumped. I'm heartbroken. I want to go dancing. And I see a cute person there and I see if I like them or not. And I, and I normally don't. I think what I'm trying to say is like when I'm ready to date, um, I follow the opportunities that are presented to me. But I don't know mm-hmm. if it's like a conscious like list making sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it is really a decision that folks have to make for themselves. Um, And I think, I guess one of the things that I would say that um, are like cautions are like pursuing dating as an attempt to like fill a void in your life that you don't, that you don't have, or like some sort of deficiency that you see in yourself. Like, there's for sure um there's like no timeline around it there's no like oh at this moment you will be healed and then you will be able to like go out and date right like you have to be the one that determines whether or not you're ready to commit to people and the reality is is that there are people out there in the world who think that they're ready and they're not and there are people who think that they're not ready and they are and like yeah that's just sort of the way that the the cookie crumbles and one of the things one of the things that is most challenging but also like the most human thing in the world about dating is that we all are sort of going into it thinking we know what we want and not always being accurate in that right like right. not always being like i'm super ready and then finding out like oh no i was not ready this was not this was not the time and like that's okay we're all human we're all figuring it out as we go right. along and making mistakes and and trying to figure out what's next so like try it if it's not working yeah. then you don't have to right or don't try it. And if it you think you're ready, then go for it, right? Like, yeah. trust yourself. Recognize that everyone's experience of the dating world is their own experience and yours will be too. There's no there's no hard and fast rule about it. I love that. And the vision I had when you were talking was like, you know how you, you're like going along, you're like, I think I'm ready to date someone. And you meet someone who's like so triggering to you because they have a whole different set of tools or trauma or or an attachment style that doesn't align with your, you know, like you meet somebody, you're like, I was ready for dating. And then that just, I was like, no, I'm not ready for dating. Mm-hmm. It's so funny that our inner monologue makes it about ourselves and our, and our, um, not readiness and our, you know, undevelopedness or whatever. And not about like just a core, either not about the other person or core incompatibility. Like, like you mm-hmm. said, we're all out here just trying our best, you know, putting ourselves out there and seeing if things stick, seeing if things work, learning as we go. And, um, and I, I love that idea. Uh, it's comforting to know that we're all sort of flailing (laughs) in the universe together. And I also like, I have the opposite experience of that where it's like, oh, I'm ready to date. And then I meet somebody who's like exactly my type and is like perfect in every way. And I'm like, I don't have I'm not ready because I do not have the energy to figure out how to how to seduce this person. Like I literally I just can't do it. Like I am I am not ready for this type of energy. (laughs) Yeah. And this conversation makes me think about how in our younger years as a podcast, I used to say um, we learn how to love by loving. And I've, I've pulled back away from that phrase only because it was pointed out to me that like, you know, people who haven't ever been in relationships, you know, they, that statement kind of made them feel like they, um, they didn't have the experience. So they didn't know how, you know, which is absolutely not Mm -hmm. how I feel. It was more like we are all learning how to love by loving, by putting ourselves out there, by having interpersonal relationships, whether, romantic or friend or family, um, that, that is just like a part of life. Um, 
And I think that that's true in this scenario as well, in terms of like, are you ready to start dating? I don't know. Are you ready to be a human in this like floating, (laughs) flaming ball of gas and earth and water, you know? Um, And of course there are times in which we can look, especially to like our friends and say like, oh my God, Sam needs to chill out and like take some time to discover himself, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not sure if we can ever say what that right path is for other people. We can only say what that right path is for ourselves because like, what if, you know, what if that chaotic friend of yours who like always dates, you know, is a serial monogamous, but then they meet someone who helps them open up parts of themselves that they didn't know mm-hmm. existed before. It's just, it's, it's such a nebulous question that there's, and we want it not to be, we want it to be clear cut. Like, when do I put myself out there again? <laughs> you know, it's scary. For sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's like, we our letter writers and we have like such different experiences of the world as well. Like for me being, being single for a significant period of time taught me a lot about myself and how I want to show up in relationships. But we have letter writers who are like, I'm not interested in that. Or I did the single thing and it like didn't help. Or like, I actually find that being in relationship lets me practice the things that I want to put into, into practice. I learned the most in relationships. Yeah. Yeah, there's like no, there's no hard and fast rule for you should be single for six months before you start dating someone or like, I feel like there's a rule that was like big in the 90s or like the early 2000s (laughs) where it was like, you had to take like one month for every year you were together or something in order to like. similar to the engagement ring, like X amount of set your month's salary. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And I, I remember it being like, like glomming onto that rule and being like, yes, a rule. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> this will make things really clear and help me figure out the world. And then turns out like, no, some people get out of five-year relationships and they're like fine after like three weeks. And some people date for a month and can't stop thinking about that person for years. And it's just all of the different factors that are constantly existing around and within us that that impact us. So I guess what I'm saying, which is like, I'm not going to tell you an answer, is actually to say that like you are your the expert in your experience. You are the only person who can know yourself fully. And so you, you listener who's asking this question and all of the thousands of other people who have asked us the same question, like, you know, trust yeah. yourself and Trust that if you try something and it doesn't work, you have the resilience to be able to try something different. Absolutely. Right? We're not expecting you to go out there and be perfect at dating immediately. We're not expecting you to be perfect at being single immediately. And you are a capable, adaptable, beautiful human who can change what they're doing as things arise, as problems come up, as they learn different information. So you got this. You know when you're going to when you need to do it. You are exactly the right person to decide that for yourself. Absolutely. If any of our listeners have a check-in topic suggestion and you have the Spotify app, you can actually go to our podcast page on Spotify and there's a new Q&A uh, function on Spotify in which you can ask questions or answer questions from us on our show. So if you have any suggestions for Checking topics in the future, go to the Spotify page and tell us what you want us to talk about. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> All right. Do you want to get into the questions for this week? Let's do it. So this letter comes from Confused and Downhearted, who 
whose pronouns are she, her, and who's writing from the void. Hi, Sam and Sierra. Let me just begin by saying that I adore your podcast. I recently found it, and now it has become a daily ritual for me to listen to it on the way to my commutes and whenever I really can. I have learned so much from you too, and I want to thank you for that. Although I didn't think I would find myself having to write a letter to you both, but nonetheless, here I am putting my heart to the page. To spare you all of the details, I am not great at relationships. I fall too easily and end up getting myself hurt in the end. After my last relationship ended in January of 2021, I decided to take a break from even thinking about boys. But this summer, I felt ready to get back out there. I was looking for someone fun to go on dates with and to hopefully, eventually, finding someone who would I could become serious with. And now with summer nearly coming to an end, I can safely say that I have had not much luck on those apps. I have been played and used by men, and when one of the last weeks of August hit, I was ready to give them up and embrace my singleness as I started my fall semester. But that is when I matched with Anthony, he, him. I know this already is going to sound bad, but he is truly like none of the dozens of guys I've encountered on these dating apps or even in real life. He is sweet, genuine, ambitious, and oh so attractive. We hit it off. He expressed in our text messages how he was looking for only a serious relationship, and that was music to my ears. But as the exchange grew in time, he would ask some risque questions about sex and my body. This is also probably a good time to tell you that while on these dating naps, I was not looking for just a hookup. Been there, done that in the past. I was not going to guide my future relationships based on sexual attraction or motives. It was tough because like everyone else, I liked sex. But I know myself and know that it's better if I abstain from it for a while, at least in the beginning of a relationship. Anyways, I was clear to him about this and he was very respectful. He told me he only engaged sexually with women after a long time together. But if so, I wondered why he would ask questions about my sexual preferences and things that were very sexually charged. I tried to let it go. It kind of bothered me, but I was able to get over it. This last Saturday, we went out for the first time in real life. We had dinner and sparks certainly flew. We really clicked. I never in my life felt so safe and trusting with someone so quickly. I felt myself feeling even more attracted to him than I was over text. We have similar values and it was a great date. He asked me if I wanted to come over to his house afterward to watch a movie, which I knew was not a good idea. Certainly not my first time at being invited to watch a movie at a guy's house. But my dumbass went anyways. Like expected, one thing led to another and we slept together and I even stayed the night. But in those moments, it was magic. I convinced myself that this night was okay because he wasn't like the other guys I was with in the past. Like I said before, he expressed his wants for long-term relationships and hated hookups and one-night stands. But then came the morning and things felt off. He rushed me off because his parents were apparently coming over. I felt his distance throughout that day and it made me feel, well, awful. I felt like an idiot and a failure because I have hooked up so fast with every guy I've been involved in. And now I've done it once again and my foolish self thought it was going to be different this time. So I reached out to him about it and I asked if he thinks differently of me now because we had sex so quickly. And his response was, well, I don't date women who sleep with me on the first date. And that hurt me. It made me feel as if I, if he had me over and slept with me so he could test or trick me and kick me to the curb when I did. It made me question what his intentions with me were all along. We talked through it, and I made the point to him that having sex with someone doesn't diminish their value as a person nor a mate in a relationship. Plus, I expressed how I wouldn't have even slept with him if I knew he was just going to drop me afterwards. I did it because it felt like we could have some form of a future together. I certainly saw things going past that night. It wasn't just physical for me, but much more. 
and how I felt ashamed of being so impulsive. We eventually discussed that things weren't ruined per se, but he told me that his feelings were all negative right now and he needs to figure it out. But after his actions and words toward me, I'm wondering if it's even worth working through. Am I just the biggest fool ever and he is using me like all of the other guys in my past have? I want to understand and be kind towards his feelings. If what he has told me is true about him not being into hookup culture, I can see where this may be tough for him to process, but it makes me wonder why he would have so easily engaged in sex in Mm -hmm. the first place. I am always too anxious to make the first move during sex and usually let the guy lead, meaning he made all the first moves during our hookup. I am so confused right now and very hurt, and getting advice from the both of you would mean the world to me, as maybe you two can make me help me understand a little deeper what is happening and maybe what steps I should take next. Should I be very straightforward and call him out on how his behavior is hurtful and try to work through this, or should I give him some space and let him take the lead of what we should do next? You are both the best, and even if you don't ever read this, it felt at least good to write this. Good. Thank you, Confused and Downhearted. All right, Confused and Downhearted, thank you so much for writing. I'm so sorry that you experienced such a confusing and hurtful experience. And I am so honored to be able to debunk some of these shameful, shameful voices that are chattering in your head right now about what's going on here. Um, first, first and foremost, you described this man as sweet <laughs> and the <laughs> evil maniacal laugh. I just want to like say it. that this doesn't sound like a sweet man to me. This sounds like a very mm. um, confused and spineless man to me. <laughs> um, sorry. I just like, I get, I got worked up listening to the letter. Um, the, the point about this man is, is secondary to the biggest point that I want to make to you confused and downhearted. Um, there's nothing wrong with hooking up with people. There's nothing wrong with one night stands and there's nothing wrong with sleeping with somebody on the first date. Each of us can have our own perceptions about like when we want to do these things in our life. Each of us can have the autonomy um, to, to make those boundaries within our own interpersonal relationships. But we absolutely do not have the right to judge anyone else for um, their autonomous bodily decision-making. And I just want to relieve you right now of the shame or the regret or whatever the anxiety that you're feeling about having sex with people in the past, having sex with this man on the first date, this man who consented, who made all of the first moves, who was very, upfront with you about what he didn't want, but also made all of these actions happen. You know, like um, I have very little patience for this man right now. Maybe Sam, you can like air me out a little. (laughs) Oh no. Mm -mm. No, I have no patience for this man either. No, you don't, you don't get to sleep with someone and then be like, shame them for sleeping with you. After like pursuing them and flirting with them and, like it takes two to tango. Like you well, didn't just like some... fall yeah. into it. Right. Like it didn't, wasn't like covered in leaves and you like accidentally stepped on it. Right. Like you were an active participant in yeah. this as well. Yeah. And I think like the idea that women shouldn't sleep with men on the first date and that women that sleep with men on the first date are somehow like not worth dating or are not the type of person that you would date is rooted deeply in misogyny. 
And in sort of like this, like this purity culture that we have created around the sanctity of women's sexuality. And I understand that there are going to be people out there who are going to be like, well, that's just his preference. And I say, fuck that. If your preference supports and perpetuates misogyny, then it's not a preference that has a place in my world. (laughs) Right. Because it's not a it's not a once it it is a one sided preference. Right. Like it is. Mm -hmm. It is an application to this woman and her sex life and not his own sexual choices. Um, and it's, right. it is a hundred percent from patriarchy. Uh, it's, it is definitely an example of what's called the Madonna horror complex where right. it, we as a society have a polarized perception of women in general in, in which we like to categorize them as either good and chaste and pure Madonna like beings who are worthy of things like marriage and relationships, because why would somebody who have se- who has sex be worthy of something like that? Sarcasm, right. sarcasm. Or right. we put them in the category of bad, per- permis- promiscuous, whore, um, you know, that are that are only that are not worthy of things like relationships and things like that. That is so incredibly patriarchal because like you said especially when we're talking about in heteronormative couples it takes two mm-hmm. to tango like it takes i mean this is a this is a very common perception that's like steeped in our understanding of dating and relationships that there are types of people that you marry and then there's types of people that you sleep with and that's like so <laughs> it like makes me Absolutely. feel so frustrated especially because like there are real world um aftermath like there there's real world impacts of this ideology that is like rooted in our society and that Mm -hmm. and it equals to either um our listener our letter writer confused and downhearted really feeling intense shame about herself and her choices and questioning what did she do wrong in this scenario Mm-hmm. And it also it hurts in 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 heterosexual relationships. It hurts heterosexual men because it limits their capacity for emotional connection because they have a hard time, you know, sexualizing quote good girls, girls that they think that they could you know see as partners or whatever. And but they it prevents them from having true emotional. Um, vulnerability connections with other people who they deem as not good. You know, it's, it limits Mm -hmm. everyone and cuts us all off at the kneecap, you know? Yeah, absolutely. That's like a very generous way to put that. Um, (laughs) And I appreciate that you, you did it that way. Cause I'm like, no, this man is a toxic piece of shit and he does not deserve to be like anywhere around another human. (laughs) Like just Uh... like, well, also because this tactic around negging it is you, a tactic. right? This it's called negging, right? Which is the way in which men will speak to women as if they need to prove to them that they are worthy of their attention, right? Oh this God, idea I've never of, heard this word. I googled it right now. Yeah. So the idea of this man consenting to have sex with you, pursuing you sexually, setting up all of these different things to say. I want, like, I don't want to have sex with you, but I want to have sex with you. And then saying at the end of it, I don't date women who sleep with men on the first date. Prove to me that you are worthy of dating me 
is an intentional tactic. It's a power play. That men use consciously or unconsciously in order to subjugate, continue to subjugate women in relationships. And like, I have no time for it. Like I, I would be happy to have a conversation with this man if he is interested in, in understanding the ways in which the tactics that he's using are hurting women and also limiting himself, which like, cool, we can have that conversation. Confused and downtrodden, I don't want you to have that conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, I want you to stay the fuck away from this man and yeah. let him go cut himself off at the ankles with someone else because like this is not worth your time. And by making it worth your time, you are playing into what he wants from you, which is to manipulate you into thinking that you owe him something. That you've done or that something you have wrong. to prove to him. Yeah, that you're we have to prove to him that you're worthy of his love and attention, which keeps him Furly in the driver's place in this relationship. And I know that that sounds really harsh because it sounds like he's a really kind, kind, charming person, right? But charming people can also be, yeah, can be (laughs) assholes. And this man is an asshole. He is a dick. I like if I, if any of my friends dated someone who did this to them, I don't know what I would do. I would like find this person and like, I don't know, do something very constructive and not mean but like i would want to i would want to key his car <laughs> constructive right? and like... not mean <laughs> that's so funny i do uh in my notes it says like reach out to him question mark probably just stay away like i don't think this person like how could he possibly redeem himself after this right It's impossible. You would be forced to redeem yourself. And there's nothing, there's nothing you need to redeem. You followed Mm -hmm. the the signals. You did what autonomous adults do. You had sex. Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with having sex on the first date. There's nothing wrong with having sex with a one night stand or somebody you just met. Like we are, life is too short. Life is too short to like gleam that some sort of moral high ground that there's like a right and a wrong way to Mm -hmm. have sex consensually with other active adults. Like I, Mm -hmm. um, you're right. I do hate all of this man. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's like take away the trappings of sex and like all of our bullshit baggage around sex. And this is like, he took you out to dinner at an Italian restaurant he he himself ordered pasta. He let you choose whether or not you wanted to order pasta. And then you also ordered pasta. And then after the date, he was like, oh, I don't date women who who order pasta. Like, I don't know why you would think that, like, we should order pasta on this date. Like, what the yeah. fuck? No. Yeah. No, there, it's this like sociopathic. Like, yeah. It's, and it's this is so how sick bizarre. Patriarchy is. This is how <laughs> sick misogyny and our purity culture is. That, like, that... And I'm feeling less hate now, and I'm just feeling like I feel sad for this man. Like, I feel sad that this is his, like, limitation of intimacy. It's, Mm -hmm. like, cool, bro. Like, good luck with your parents. Like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck with your parents. (laughs) That his parents were coming over. Like, cool. Are they they going to clean and fold your laundry for you? That's what it sounds like. Probably. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, not that if your parents clean and fold your laundry, you're a bad person. Like this is just, no, thank you. I just meant like (laughs) 
fuck I this know, guy. I that's know. all. <laughs> I just like imagine hundreds of our listeners who are like, feel, my parents clean and fold shame, my laundry. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, my mother's in town and I legit, she's like cooking for me. I was like, mom, will you make me some soup? <laughs> mom, I want yeah. some broth. Yeah. And she helped me trim a rose bush that I've been staring at for the last two years thinking I could trim that, but I will wait till my mom's in town. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. Okay, confused and downtrodden or downhearted. Thank you so much. That is for, such a Sam <laughs> word. <laughs> it is. Thank you so much for writing. Um, please know that there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. You don't need to prove to this person that you are worth dating because you are worth dating, and you don't need any man to tell you that. Even though I just did, and <laughs> that you can move as quickly or as slowly in sex as you want in relationship, and it's nobody's business but yours. So. Yeah. That's what I have to say to that. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much for writing. <laughs> Please know that we love and adore you. And we know that there is love out there that isn't going to make you feel this shitty. Yeah. We hope that this helps my love. Y'all, as a self-employed person, as a mom of a toddler, I am always struggling with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all of that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, you have full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses. You can see all your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, Rocket Money can help cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month so I can clearly see my spending habits and check myself if needed. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even help try to negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you, which I obviously love as a somewhat introverted, conflict-avoidant person. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Rocket Money has over 5 million subscribers and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash just break up. That's rocketmoney.com slash just break up. Rocketmoney.com slash just break up. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets, sweaters, and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. Quince has things like premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. 
This past month, I treated myself to a pair of new slippers because I'm in that hashtag mom life era of my life um, in which <laughs> um, I am never not in slippers. And these are 100% Australian shearling lined clog slippers. And I love that they're slip on, but they have those durable rubber outsoles. They're super cushy, super comfortable, but I feel like I can run outside to like take the trash out in them while also like staying warm and active in the house. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. This next letter comes to us from a small guy whose pronouns are he, him, who is writing to us from sex land. Dear Sam and Sierra, let me first start by saying a few things. One, I've been going through a hard breakup earlier this year, my first breakup ever, and JBU was honestly one of the main reasons I got out of bed, got through my days, and did not contact my ex. I'd like to thank you both and Spencer for making this great podcast. Two, English is not my native language, so please ignore any misspellings and stuff. Smiley face. Three, I feel like I should say slash warn that this letter is mainly about genital shame. Is that a term? Question mark. And I really don't want to trigger or offend anyone. So here's the thing. I'm a 24-year-old gay cisgender man, and I have an average to small dick, which I also consider weird and ugly. I'm uncomfortable and insecure about it to the point where I sabotage possible romantic and sexual encounters. Yay! <laughs> A little bit of background. I've always been uncomfortable with sexual intimacy. Coming out as a gay teen was not easy and detaching gay sex from shame has been a long process. I started dating guys when I was 18 and from the beginning, besides the gay shame, I was also very aware of my size. I let this insecurity get in my way, ignored my desires and could not have a nice sexual experience until I was 21 with my first boyfriend, he, him, we dated for two and a half years and sex was great. He did acknowledge that I was indeed small, but he loved my body and we did have a lot of fun during this time. I realized that I'm not very into penetration and that gay sex can be so much more than two dicks and the straight heteronormative duality of the passive and active roles. Rationally, I know that having a small dick is okay and that sex is so much more than that. Emotionally, well, here I am. Now that I'm single, after having a very suffocating relationship, I'm genuinely excited to meet new people. And why not have plenty of safe sex? I want to discover new things, engage with different bodies, get to know and love other people, and give myself the chance to be loved and touched again. I don't want to sabotage my desires as I did when I was 18. In fact, I want to hold this younger version of me and prove that he is deserving of being desired and having a lot of fun. Woo, that made me really emotional. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I just love this letter writer so much already. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I see their growth, you know, and also their shame. And that always like pulls on my heartstrings. But this insecurity and shame kept coming back. My past relationship was filled with a lot of toxic masculinity. And since my breakup, I've been thinking about how men are taught to be big and take up a lot of space. I've been wondering how much of that keeps me ashamed as if I am a flawed or repulsive. I'm going to cry this whole letter or a flawed or repulsive guy and therefore not deserving of being desired and incapable of satisfying other people. I feel like the gay community is very dick-centered and that big dick masculine men have more value. And I fear that once I try to be sexual, to, 
Once I try to have sex with new people, they'll see my dick and just ghost me forever. Overall, I fear loneliness and being rejected by sexual and romantic partners. Also, I'm terrified of the idea that I broke up with the only guy who could love me and my body. I know that this doesn't make any sense on paper, but I won't deny that these thoughts pass through my mind all the time. I've begun talking about it in therapy and even with some friends, which has been interesting, but some of them try to comfort me by saying things like, I'm sure it's not that small, which only reinforces, despite their kind efforts, the idea that having a small dick is a flaw. I've recently been vaccinated, but COVID is still a big threat in my country. So I have a few months to reflect on this subject before I actually get to restart my sex life. I wonder if you have any thoughts about it. Have you ever had similar anxieties or dealt with partners who did? How do I deal with this shame, put myself out there, and deal with a possible rejection? Thank you so much for reading this. Sincerely, Small. Let me tell you, Small. (laughs) I love you so much. Um, I love you so much. I just feel so much love for you and... Like I said, while I was reading it, like I see how much thoughtfulness and self-reflection and growth and healing you've done and you've made it so far and you've done so much amazing work. And I also see the pain and the shame and the fear that you're carrying. And and I know it's really heavy. Um, I just want to like give you a hug. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that the, the amount of... Um, the amount of honestness, honesty and vulnerability that you put into this yeah, letter is you. just amazing. Um, and the fact that you're trusting us with it and like, honestly, the fact that you are willing, um, even if we don't know your name or where you live, but even the idea that you're willing to sort of put this out there into the world, this question, um, it's healing for is, a lot of people. It's yeah, it's profound. Cause I know, I know for a fact that there are other folks in this world, probably more than we would think yeah. or more than would be willing to talk about it are feeling really similar ways about this societal thing around penis size yeah, and around totally. what that means about masculinity and what that means about desirability, right? Like, and that's really high concept and really maybe abstract, but like, you are demonstrating the tangible outcomes and the tangible hurt that comes from that, that comes from this, our sort of ranking, our hierarchy of people's bodies and our understanding of who they are based on their outward appearance. And like, I just, it frustrates me and it makes me so sad. And, and I am also just so thankful for you to, to put yourself out there and to be willing to share your perspective on it. Yeah, it's meaningful. It's really meaningful. And because we're going to talk about genital shame and penis size now, but this also can be applied to so many other things. Like you said, bodily hierarchy, the way that we love to rank and categorize body types and say that there's a right and wrong way to have a body. There's a right and Mm -hmm. wrong way to be a certain gender. There's a right and wrong way to, um, you know, even thinking about white supremacy and the way that we um, prioritize whiteness and um, there, this issue that you're brought that you've brought to the table, small so bravely, um, is really connected to one of the primary sources of shame. I feel like that whether it's about genitals or masculinity or not, 
I feel like this is rippling out to so many other people's experiences right now. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, you know, appreciate you calling out that you've been talking about this in therapy and with your friends and that sometimes the response is, you know, I'm sure that it's not that small, right? Which sort of reinforces this narrative around like small dicks are bad or small dicks are a flaw and recognize the fact that like this is so deeply embedded in our understanding of what masculinity is and what desirability of bodies are that like it can be even more isolating because people don't even know where their prejudices are, where their biases are. Right. And so they think that they're being helpful, but what they're really doing is reinforcing the pain that they, that's been inflicted on you. Wow. And on them too. And on them too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. And I just want to say like, Again, this is one of those situations that Sierra and I sometimes find ourselves in, which is just so heartbreaking because it's like, I want to see you and affirm you in the fact that your experience of this is real. And it's like, and there's no easy solution to it, right? Like we can't immediately as two podcast hosts um, on the other side of the world, get rid of this sort of like ingrained patriarchy that prioritizes men who have large bodies and large penises and take up a lot of space. Like, I wish that we could change the world to make it easier for you to be able to find love and find affirmation and find validation in it. Like that is, I wish that we could do that. And all we can do for you right now is like, just say like, yes, the experience that you're having, the way that people are reacting to your body, the ways in which People are assigning this like hierarchy of value and placing you not at the top is real. It is happening to you. You're not making it up and it isn't fair. There's nothing fair about it. There's nothing that makes sense about it. There is nothing that that there's no reason why this should exist. I mean, it exists for like very specific reasons, which we could go into, but there it's not like it's not like any of it makes sense. And the ramifications of it are still awful, are still so entirely hurtful for you. And like, that sucks. That's just, there's nothing beyond that that we can say except for just like, yeah, this fucking sucks that this is the way that the world works. And yeah. and I'm so sorry that you have to experience it in this way. Yeah. And with all, with that all being said, with that being the umbrella that the rest of our advice is sheltered under, I do want to talk about like ways you can ways you can practice not participating in this global uh, hierarchy that we're talking about Um, Mm -hmm. because it's, it's one of those shitty things. I know Sam and I have talked about this before. It's one of those things where it's like, this is ingrained in our societal narrative and also somehow unfairly, we are responsible for the untangling of it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's Mm. like, how do I fix patriarchy? Well, I have to, I have to heal the patriarchal wounds within me. I have to, (laughs) you know what I mean? And and doesn't that fucking suck? Like, doesn't that suck Mm -hmm. that like we can point to, we can point to who is hurting you and sure it sure Mm -hmm. as hell isn't you small. Like, like I don't (laughs) want to point to you and be like, you know, you're hurting yourself, you know, by believing these, these lies that fucking everyone has told us since the moment we were born about what masculinity is. And at the same time, we cannot, 
the only thing I can ask you to do is to is to start slowly, slowly and painfully and lovingly chipping away at these belief systems that we inherited, you know, that we didn't mm-hmm. ask for, but that were given to us. And we can slowly start chipping away at those things by, you know, practicing thought reprogramming. So you're, you know, you look at your penis and you think this is ugly. Is it ugly? Or do I want to, or is it something, is it different from what I've seen in the popular narrative? Is it ugly or do I want to call it something else? Am I going to give myself the gift of saying it's not ugly? It's beautiful. It's me. It's mine. There, I can't change it. This, you know, and I know that sounds like a little bit like Hallmark, simple, like, I know it's not as simple as just saying I feel ugly. Nope. I'm not ugly. I'm beautiful. Like, it's not that simple. But I know that that is a small step that we can take. What, like when we think about what we have control over in these huge oppressive systems that place certain bodies over other bodies, and in patriarchy, when we limit so much what a band can and cannot be, I know that you have control over the language you use on yourself, the language you call yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and that's also true in. You're already doing it so beautifully in this letter, but it's also true in reminding yourself, what does it mean to be a man? What is masculinity? What am I taught masculinity is? And what is it in, mm-hmm. in, in real life, you know, or in, in yeah. excuse me, in what is it in my practice? Because we like to think about masculine and feminine as these concrete staples of nature, Sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're, I don't know, a Darwinist or something like, I, I, you know, I like to think about it as a little bit more liberating. I like to, f- I want to free myself a little bit when I think about masculine and feminine, femininity, energy, genders, whatever. And I want to free myself of this s- social construct that is the gender edification that we receive as children. All of this shit is literally mm-hmm. made up. Again, a Lok Vedmanen's <laughs> just book, made up. Yep. <laughs> it, it fucking is. Uh, I cannot is. stress, like, follow a Lok Vedmanen, um, A L O K V A D or V E D M E N O N. I'm sorry that I don't remember spell spelling off the top of my head, but their Instagram um, mm-hmm. is filled. They're, they, they, um, is filled with like what they call book reports of like queer history, gender history, um, sexuality history, and like goes back, you know, hundreds and thousands of years of when clothing became gendered, when um, the two genders, you know, we know that there are more than two genders, but when the two genders became a binary and not a nebulous thing, you know? And so anyway, I'm getting really off track, but small i want you to not only re you know rethink the language that you're using to throw away the language that the oppressors gave you create your own mm-hmm. language to talk about your body and and the same thing about masculinity yes we know that societally masculinity is to be loud it's to be strong it's to be big and it's to be take up space it is to be forceful it is to be mm-hmm. unwait you know like unrelenting and unwavering it's to not be intimate. It's not to be vulnerable. It's not to be small or soft. But I want to release that that gender training that we got because 
because Mm -hmm. I want us to heal ourselves from that gender training because we can be so much more than those limitations. Absolutely. Yes. And, and the sad part is, or the frustrating part is, I guess, is that like you only have control over your own understanding of this, right? Like that's, what's so frustrating is like, I just wish that I could like tell, like I could find every person that is going to interact with you and we could have a conversation about about the patriarchy, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. like it's like this universal oppressive thing. And then I'm like, no, yeah. just like tell yourself that you're not ugly. Like that's not I want to yell at the universal oppressive thing. I want to like hit its nose with a newspaper, you know, for and sure. Tell it that absolutely. it's a bad, bad dog. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But and I also don't want to undermine your own power in these situations, right. too. Right. Like you have you have power over unlearning the things that you're being you've been taught about your own body. You have the power to be to figure out how to love that body and to embrace it for everything that it is, all of the beauty that it contains, everything that makes up who you are, right? Like those are the things that you have power and control over. And yes, there are going to be people who are going to ghost you. There are going to be people who make you feel really bad about your body or are going to try to do that. And the only thing that we can do in those types of situations is know that that is about them and not about us. Yeah. Right? They're, they are projecting their own bullshit on you. And that doesn't mean anything about who you are. And that is, of course, like Sierra said, easier said than done, right? And you know it rationally. You've been telling us about all the things you've been thinking about. And feeling it is a whole different thing. And it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of unlearning to do that. And it's okay to be upset by it. It's okay to be hurt by it. It's okay to be frustrated with it, right? Like, absolutely. We're not expecting you to be some like pure spirit who like never gets hurt by the bullshit that other, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I'm sure that a lot of the the folks that we talk about on this podcast also have days when they are not feeling like they can deal with the bullshit of patriarchy and the bullshit of, of white supremacy, right? Like, And it's okay to feel those ways sometimes, but like the solution here is that you can continue to do work in being an activist and pushing back against the patriarchy in places where you can. And the only thing that you have control over, actual control over, is yourself and your own ability to sort of look at your body and who you are and your own brand of masculinity and embrace it and love it and know that no matter what people think about it, no matter how people try and shame you for it, that doesn't actually have any bearing yeah. on who you are as a person. It has, even if it feels like that way, and even if it's fucking sucky and awful, that that there are people out there that are going to make you feel bad about it, right? And I and I am part of the gay community, man. So like, yeah, you know, I know, I know the things that people say to you that are just so hurtful and ridiculous and awful, and it's like. I thought we were supposed to be a community, but turns out, nope, we're just taking those preferences and the hierarchy of human value and doing our own thing with it, which is super fun. Um, And like, it sucks. And I wish I could say, here's the eight step way to make that not hurt. Or here's the eight step way to convince someone to not be a dick to you. But like, I don't have those steps. Yeah, I I really don't. Yeah. But if it hasn't already been explicitly said or implied, um, I don't think it, I think it wouldn't hurt to just say, you know, to reiterate what you know in your heart, that there's nothing wrong with having a small penis and that even, you know, I was reading in preparation for this episode, I was reading that like 
the averages, the the our understanding of like human biology are often skewed by something called um, volunteer biases that like these shame, <laughs> this shame that we're talking about, yeah. not just about genitals, but like about everything. Um, shame has always existed. White things like white supremacy, um, ableism have always skewed scientific studies because who are they who are they studying right like who who is being brought to the forefront on these whatever obviously i'm like a big proponent of science i'm not trying to bash it but like science you know scientific studies have some questionable histories and Mm -hmm. um when it comes to like genital sizes and penis size um all of the researchers stay in their studies like that the the averages are often skewed because because of human things like shame and fear and not wanting, you know, so the volunteers that show up are the ones that are not afflicted by by that shame, right? Um for sure. So I just and even say, thinking too about no, but even thinking about that too like not even in a scientific way either, right? Like Who's showing you their dick on Grinder? Like who's showing right. their dick on Twitter? Who's showing their dick on Reddit? Right? Like porn. People porn. Who, exactly. Like people who probably have significantly larger than average dicks because like they're volunteering to show it to you. Whereas yes. other folks who might have very average size or small size penises aren't feeling willing to show it because of the shame and the the meanness right. associated right. with what it means to be a person who shows their body. That isn't perfect online, right? Like, yes, absolutely. That I'm so glad you said that sense. because that was a, that was the secondary point to there's nothing wrong with having a small penis. Is that um, you? Can you imagine the diversity in all of our bodies? We like to think that we there are just norms. wild. It's I mean, just it is, wild to it think is about. It's just <laughs> wild. It, think about how, how many humans are there on Earth? Seven billion? Or like seven billion? Yeah. Yeah. Can you imagine the diversity in that? Like, we like to think that there are things such as averages because we, again, we like to understand things. We like to have scales and um, parameters that we can judge ourselves and others up against. But I don't think that you are in a minority here is what I'm trying to say. Um, I think that your body is unique and also probably a lot like hundreds and thousands of other bodies. But like Sam Mm -hmm. said, Whose stories are we hearing? Whose voices are we listening to? Who whose dicks are we getting in our inboxes? You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, uh, representation <laughs> does matter here. You know, it, we always say representation <laughs> matters, and it, it it's true for fucking labias. Oh my god, how many how many people oh, with vaginas and labias that I know are so insecure about their labia lifts and what their the color of their labias and things mm-hmm. and the sizes and, and whatever. There's so much diversity in, especially in our genitals um, mm-hmm. that we don't even, that we don't even, we're not even given the understanding of as children, not, you know, sex ed doesn't touch, you know, my sex ed didn't talk about like intersex people or trans people or, you know, like we didn't go anywhere out of that binary, right. Out of that average Fucking European, whatever, just going to spew words, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so I just want to like reiterate that. Like, yes, we have been taught this, but our scope of that is, is I don't think it's realistic. Just like Instagram isn't real. Like, I, I, I'm not sure that our, the way, we, the harshness to which we compare our bodies to others 
is at all real or fair. For sure. No, absolutely. I agree with with all of that. And I do want to sort of at least end in positivity, which is to say that there are people out there who are going to love your body and love to be with your body, right? Your ex-boyfriend is an example of that. There are communities out there. There are people who are really working to dismantle their own toxic learning and embrace and love all bodies and and you are not doomed to singledom. You're not doomed to aloneness just because of the size of your penis. Like you're not. And and recognizing that other people's opinions of your body, the social hierarchy that we've created around it, have nothing to do with you and have everything to do with other people. And recognizing too that like there is and will continue to be love and there will continue to be people who want to be with you and want to love your body in the way that you do. Um, and just have faith that that is happening out there and know that, and that there are people you. who are, who are going to love you for it. So yeah. we, including us, we love you yes. very much. And we hope this helps. Thank you so much for writing. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Our third and final letter comes from Tired of Parenting My Parent, whose pronouns are she, her, and they, them, who is writing from Richmond, Virginia. I found you all from Sierra's Poetry when I was digging myself out of an abusive and codependent marriage two years ago and have been a fervent fan ever since. I'm so grateful for how seeing you make me feel, and I always look forward to listening on my morning commute. Boo, going back to an actual office. (laughs) My question is actually about family relationships, trigger warnings for abuse, mental illness, and suicide. My mother and I have always had a fraught relationship starting from when I was 12 or so and only dissolved further with time as I am now in my early 30s. My whole life, my mother has had a temper and seemingly blown up about the smallest things as well as just never great personal skills. This would be in a position of often avoiding introducing her to others and having to clean up after her when she would throw a temper tantrum in public over something as small as a store's return policy. Privately, she would be extremely verbally abusive and sometimes physically, too. This was juxtaposed with the other side of her personality, where she was over-the-top affectionate and caring to the point of it being like a burden. I am an only child, and my mother was a stay-at-home mom who constantly told me that she wanted to give me the childhood she never had. Generational trauma much? Hmm. Fast forward to now, where after years in therapy and lots of head and heart work, I am very aware of the trauma she caused me and how it led me to unhealthy relationship patterns. Out of this, I learned how to have a healthy and firm boundaries that I have put in place to try and have a functional relationship with my mom. After having those boundaries crossed multiple times, I made the decision to cut off contact with her and did not speak to her for almost two years. I reinitiated contact with her in the beginning of this year and had hope since she seemed more able and willing to take things slow only talk via text and not be overly intrusive. I finally saw her in person and a few months later. And while she proceeded to be pushier at my boundaries and or completely disregard them during that visit, which set off a bunch of triggers, I felt like we could address it and work through it. 
Unfortunately, the wheels came completely off shortly after, where she increasingly started calling me and texting me at all hours of the day, saying outlandish and disconnected things and acting extremely agitated. I struggled with wanting to find out what was going on and wanting to help her, and also respecting that she wasn't my responsibility. Everything culminated recently with her having the police called on her for getting verbally aggressive with a friend, her assaulting an officer, going for his gun, and stating that she wanted to kill herself. This led to her being placed in a behavioral facility under police custody. Here, they were able to diagnose her with severe bipolar disorder with psychotic features and are working on getting her treatment. My life has been ruled by phone calls Mm. to talk with her doctors, caseworker, other family, her church members, and coordinating care for her pets. So my question is this, how do I go about having a relationship with her after all of this? Where do I even start? How do I manage giving her a chance now that I know so much about the abuse she objected to me too was a feature of mental illness? I am so relieved that she is getting good care and treatment and also feeling very vindicated and having a reason for cutting her off for so long as many Mm, people mm -hmm. made me feel bad about it. I am also bone weary and sad. I have no need for my mother in my life if I'm being honest. I have a great relationship with my dad, a loving partner, and wonderful friends. I don't feel like something is missing or wonder what life would look like otherwise. I know that even with treatment, we are vastly different people, and our overlap in interests and talking points is basically zero. I'm worried about the toll this is taking on my mental health and all the work I've done to free myself from the toxic patterns of my childhood. But the guilt I feel now of being her only child and family on this side of the country, especially with this diagnosis, is way greater, a fact that she will surely remind me of. I am now so stressed by this that I'm afraid that any interaction will potentially set off a huge trigger for me. It all feels too overwhelming. I know that this is a very subject and close to home for Sam, which is why any insight would be greatly appreciated. Thank you for always listening and sending a little more love into the world. Oh, thank you so much for writing. Tired of parenting my parent. Oh, let's just call you tired. Um, because honestly, I just want I want to hold space for for the fact that Sam and I are not judging you at all for not wanting a relationship with your mo- mother. This is mm-hmm. you might experience those pressures outside of this podcast, <laughs> this episode in your daily life sure. from her or your community members or whatever from society as a whole. But it is the stress and trauma from this relationship is permeating through your letter. And I just want to explicitly say, like, Sam and I feel that more than anything. And we want to validate that and validate your choice for having a healthy, mother-free life, you know, in whatever way that looks like. Um, Just we don't want to we just want to say that explicitly, I guess. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think I think that well-meaning people who don't know what it's like on the inside of a, a abusive relationship with someone who is having significant mental illness issues don't know what it's like and they they can hold their tongues around it. Yeah, they right? mean and well, so, but like, they, yeah. Yeah, those loving people who are probably like, oh, well, you know, you should give your mom a chance or my relationship with my mom is so important to me. Like, don't you miss having it, right, are all meaning well for sure. But again, don't have your lived experience of what it's like to be in this bubble with this person who is enacting her pain mm. onto you, which is really what it tired. is. And I said, yes, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. And I think 
this idea i'll just talk from my own experience of like the fact that my dad had significant mental illness um that i can totally understand and have compassion for doesn't mean that the things that he did to me didn't hurt right that the Mm. the way that he lived his life and the way that he he used that pain to inflict pain upon me and the people closest to me um it still hurt it still sucked it's still like you know the knife still hurt no matter whose hand it was in, right? Like That's the pain it. was still the same, even though it came from somebody who loved me and was clearly hurting yeah. and who yeah. I also loved. So like the fact that the fact that you've come into your awareness around the fact that your mom is dealing with this mental health issue doesn't negate the pain that she caused you. It doesn't right. mean that it hurts any less. It doesn't mean that it was any less appropriate, right? Like, or any more appropriate. Like right. it was still awful and still completely painful and completely not your fault. So I appreciate that you're sort of grappling with this of like, this is a new perspective that I have. And I, now that I know where it's coming from, maybe I should, I should feel better about it or I should be more understanding. And I would say that, yeah, you can be more understanding and that doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt the same amount. Yeah. It doesn't mean that that pain still isn't there. And it doesn't mean that she's still not the cause of that pain. And right? it doesn't even mean that that if, history is gone, even if your mother wants mm-hmm. it to be. I know that people specifically with bipolar disorder who have been, who their lives have been transformed with med- medication. You know, they've truly, mm-hmm. they have been transformed Um and who I do not know what is in store for your mother, but I do know that in in order to not be further traumatized, you need to really prioritize your safety and your wellness and make sure that all things are on your terms as as much as possible. You know, I would mm-hmm. I would say that it is perfectly acceptable to have a no contact rule. But if not, maybe, I, I don't know what Sam would think about this, but like, you know, therapist facilitated meetings or something like that, like where the, it's where sh- your mother cannot go um, unaccountable in their in her interaction with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there are there are absolutely ways that you can do that and you can have those meetings with those therapists or figure out how to do this with your boundaries intact. And you don't have to, right? Right. Like that's the long and the short of it is that we are um, sort of culturally pressured to maintain relationships with our parents, even when those parents enact all sorts of violence on us. Um, And I don't believe that that is necessarily true, right? Like, Right. Your mother treated you poorly and just because she's your mother doesn't mean that you have to accept that or that you have to invite her into your life. Right. Um, and I know that there are lots of folks that would push back against that. And I know that like culturally there are other ways of of viewing parents that are that are sort of different than that perspective. But for me, at least, it was important for me to recognize the fact that like I had to show my dad that I loved him by putting distance between us because I didn't want him to continue hurting me. Right. Like, and that was, that was the issue too, was like, I saw how much pain he was in by the pain he was causing other people. And I was like, I can't continue to perpetuate this. I cannot continue to allow this. And I have to show you that I love you by saying, 
I'm not going to let you do this to me anymore. And I really want you to seek help and find places where you can can heal some of the things that you're going through. But I'm not going to be sort of the the punching bag for it or I'm not going to allow my mom and my sister to do the same thing. So, like, I think it's perfectly okay for you to say, mom, appreciate that you're getting this help and I'm interested or willing to pursue this at some point down the road. But right now I need space to heal Right now, I need some time to myself to figure out how I'm going to move forward from all of this trauma as well. Yeah, I watched, I saw a clip on Instagram from the Red Table Talk with, you know, Jada Pinkett Smith, um, Mm -hmm. her mother and her child. And um, Jada Pinkett Smith said, we teach people how to love us by how we love ourselves or we show people how to mm. love us by how we love ourselves. And I wonder if this is an instance of that in terms of it. I, it just seems from your letter tired that you need to prioritize your relationship with yourself and the relationships that are healing and love filled for you. You need to love yourself, allow those healthy relationships to flourish, allow for those strong boundaries, whether it be no contact or not. And if there is a time in which your mother wants to reach out and try to love you and she cannot love you to those standards, then there's your answer right there. Like, I I think Mm -hmm. that it's, it's okay to, like Sam said, culturally, you're right. You're so right that there's this narrative that, you know, family, like, thicker than blood sort of thing, like anything for a family. Mm-hmm. Family is everything. But that's only, just like our our bodily diversity, that is only one part of the human narrative, you know. Um, mm-hmm. People who are close to their family members or who are close to their siblings, that's lucky. That's nice. That's like a cool thing. But it's also cool and lucky to have great best friends or to have a great relationship with one parent and not the other. It's a, it, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I think that that is a limited scope of what the, of what the human experience is. And like you said, it adds this pressure and this shame to make us stay in these relationships that we, that are really draining the, the joy and the, and the health from our relationship. That's what you, I mean, bone tired. Like, I know what that feels like. Mm -hmm. You are, you are stretched so thin right now. And um, if I haven't said it yet, I'm so sorry you had to deal with this. Obviously, Sam and I both know Sam more than I um, how stre- how how physically depleting these relationships are and these scenarios. Um, and I'm so- and I just want you to heal. I I want you to take time for yourself. I think that's mm-hmm. like my biggest wish for you right now. For sure. And I also just, I want to name too, that this relationship or this situation is really complicated and relationships with our parents who were abusive and who are struggling with mental illness or chemical dependency or whatever it is are complicated. And it's not always as easy as like breaking up with a partner where you can say like, block, 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 you're out of my life, right? Like there are certain things legally, societally, culturally, familially that have to tie us to other people. And so I want you to, I don't want to distill this down into simplicity around like, don't talk to her ever again, 
or like you have to be in her, you, she has to be in your life, right? Like there are so many nuances and shades of gray in there. And I think what you're doing in these instances of putting up these boundaries of trying to sort of figure out what a relationship with her looks like and having you have to be the one that gets called when this type of stuff yes. happens oh my God, yeah. is really is real. And so like you are doing the work, you are figuring out how to navigate this situation that is really complicated and nuanced. And I trust that you are going to be doing the things that you need to do. Right. And I'm so thankful that you have a loving, supportive partner, that you have a great relationship with your dad, that you feel really connected to your community. Those are all great things. And those are all also yeah. places of strength that can help fill you up if and when you need to deal with your mom yeah. or you need to take this on. Right. So like, yeah, I don't think it ever is as clear as never talk to that person again or yeah. figure out a way to get in there. Right. Like you're navigating a really, really complicated path. And I want to give you credit for trying to figure it out and trying to do it in such a affirming and kind and Thoughtful. understanding right way of like being understanding towards your mother and being understanding of yourself too and recognizing your own limitations and places where you're really tired and so I just want to affirm that you are you're on this journey already right like you're not embarking on anything you've been on it and so you are gonna figure out what tomorrow looks like and what the day after that looks like and it might be that you're making decisions one hour at a time, one minute at a time. And it might be that you're setting yourself up for what the next years are going to look like. And any of those situations is okay. And those situations are where you need to be in that exact moment. I love that. Thank you, Sam. And thank you, Tired, for writing and listening to the podcast. We are with you and we love you so much. Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing. All right, everyone, this brings us to the blind date segment of our episode. This is when we try and set you up with something we think you're really going to like. This week, we want to send you home with. It's a new podcast from our producer, Spencer, called what? The Layers <laughs> Layer. And it is a great British Bake Off appreciation yes. podcast. <laughs> I love it. So Layers Layer spelled L-A-Y-E-R, like cake layers, and then layer. Mm -hmm. L-A-I-R, like a cave Oh, dwelling. got it, yeah. <laughs> got it, okay, love it. And it is uh, a podcast with him and his uh, incredibly charming wife, Katie, in which they re they watch the new season of Great British Bake Off um, one episode at a time. And the thing that I love the most about it, other than listening to one of my best friends talk, um, is the fact that uh, they're doing... So the first year... Of 2020. Oh my God. The first year of quarantine, I was going to say, but I just met last year. <laughs> you know, like 30 years ago. Um, that's no. what it feels like, right? Um, Spencer and um, his podcast, the What If podcast, which you can still listen to, but they're not making new episodes. They created the Great British Baking Show, like March Madness challenge oh, sort yeah. of thing, yep. mm -hmm. where it was like online. Yeah. It's like a bracket. And so you vote, anybody can join it. And so they did this last year and anybody could join it. And you voted on who you thought was going to like the top three bakers. And then you would get deducted. It's very clever. There's lots of rules. You get deducted points if you're 
Baker gets voted off or you get deducted points if they, you know, they mess up their, if they have to restart something, but you also get points if they get like, if they're in the top three, if they get complimented, if they're star baker, et cetera. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you need to watch the Great British Baking Show because it's so <laughs> fucking charming. I said the Great British it Bake is. Off earlier, but um, anyway, so um, we they they're doing it again for this new season that just started on Netflix. I, I think this week it came out. Um, so you can like watch the episode, listen along and participate. Everybody can participate in the bracket and it's so fun. I mean, it's the thing you watch the great British bake off, right? Or baking show, right? Mm -hmm. It's so wholesome. It's, it makes you feel so good. (laughs) It's a, it's a reality. They're all just like love and support each other. Like they're, there's like, they're, no, they're competing, (laughs) right? They're competing, but they're all like helping and supporting. It's just like, I love it so much. It's just like the most wholesome show. Yes, exactly. No. It's just, I mean, like, the, it's just such a feel-good show. It's a competitive reality show that, like, makes you love humanity, which is not the normal outcome Rare. of competitive yeah. <laughs> reality shows. And But also, so you can listen along to the Layers Layer as they um, review each or, and recap each um, episode and participate in their um uh, their online bracket. You can find all that information wherever you find a podcast in the show notes. You can participate in the bracket and stuff like that. Love it. Way to go, Spencer. Also, guess who listen. won the bracket last year? Me. Lizzo. No. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I did. <laughs> okay. Um, that's it. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Just Break Up Pod. Oh, and TikTok. Oh, and oh, begrudgingly TikTok. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship memes. And uh, most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at justbreakuppod.com, which is also where you can find our merchandise. And if you have a suggestion for next week's check-in topic, you can slide over to the Spotify app and uh, answer it in the Q&A new function that's going to be in this episode's show notes on Spotify exclusively. It's like a new thing that they're trying out. Love it. Please also remember to follow, subscribe, and leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. And consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Original music, recording, editing, producing, and managing all magical things by our good friend Spencer Worth Davis, the host of The Layer Slayer. Make sure to check out his new podcast and any of his music under the name Big Cats on Spotify. And remember, you do deserve good things. Despite what you were shown in childhood, what you were taught by your last relationships, what you're told by society, you deserve the best. You are lovable, worthy, special. You are capable, smart, and strong. We believe in you. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>